We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. As Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher in Season 4 of The Crown, Emmy-nominated Gillian Anderson tapped into a side of the Iron Lady that perhaps we weren't as familiar with. It, it felt like that was the first time at least I had seen another side of her, and that was then extended in how Peter portrayed her. And so it's much more portrayal of her it's as much a portrayal of her as mother and as wife as it is her as prime minister. And, and so I think that, you know, was quite interesting, fascinating, refreshing for some people to see. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Emmy-nominated The Crown stars Emma Corrin, Josh O'Connor, and Gillian Anderson about the breakout fourth season of the Netflix hit. But first, on the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast Roundtable, we share our final predictions for the 2021 Primetime Emmy Awards. This is it, as we prepare for Sunday's big ceremony. It's all next on Variety's Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. And here we are, everyone. It's Michael Schneider here from Variety's Awards Circuit, along with Jazz Tanke. Jazz, my hero. Hello, hello, hello. Jazz is my hero because the, uh, the I'm just going to I'm going to call them out. Carbon Health. What the F? I still haven't gotten my COVID test. I took it last week. It was supposed to be ready by now. I should have been covering the Creative Arts Emmys in person on Sunday. Instead, I had to be at home. But my hero, Jazz Tanke, filled in on site. Thank you, Jazz. Pleasure. No, thanks to Carbon Health, though. And the secret was I didn't get to spend the day with Clayton Davis like I was planning on, like I was hoping to. We were going to have a bro moment on Sunday. I'm sorry, Clayton, it didn't happen. Left me at the altar. <laughs> but you had a good... <laughs> he was so sad. You had a good fill-in with Jazz. But yeah, that was a bummer. That was a real bummer. But um, nonetheless, I'm... Um, for either of you, uh, Clayton, what was your biggest surprise coming out of the, the creative arts? Anything that sort of stuck with you? Uh, actually, it felt a little all over the place uh, for for a while. I think maybe um, so- Social Dilemma, picking up those two uh, craft awards, but then Boy State taking the top one in the end uh, was a little surprising, considering I always felt like they ding it for like going for Oscar and Emmy. They didn't this time. Yeah. yeah. No, that was interesting. And yeah, obviously the last time that something like that or Dick Johnson is dead will be able to even, uh, you know, cherry pick either one. Yeah. So next year they got to decide. decide. And also to add, I, I think uh, just an observation, I don't know if this really means us in the long run when we get to prime times this week, but Netflix is so exceptional at below the line wins, both in film and television. When it comes to the categories that count at the top, it, it always kind of unravels there because that you know, Boy State winning, and then seventy six days winning uh, exceptional merit, you know, it, it, you know, it, but then they won the guest cat. They got Claire Foy an Emmy, <laughs> like out of out of all that, <laughs> you know, it, 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 some stuff just gets really strange sometimes. 
Yeah. Well, they did. They did. And this was my, and, and Jazz, I'll get to your surprise in a second, but they did get the TV movie category. And that was my surprise, Dolly Parton. And, and maybe it should, actually, we talked about this last week. I thought maybe because who doesn't love Dolly Parton? We talked about the fact that, you know, she saved us all with the Moderna. Uh, so there was a good shot that she was going to get it. And sure enough, both her and Debbie Allen for choreography for, uh, uh, <laughs> it's her Christmas movie, which I forget the title of it. But Dolly Parton's Dolly Christmas, Parton hanging out at Christmas. Christmas on the Square. Christmas on the Square, yes. Um, so I love that. I love, I, and so that was really Netflix's first major. Not that TV movie is a category anyone really considers major anymore, but nonetheless a major program category for for Netflix on the board. Uh, Jazz, what uh, anything surprised you from this weekend? Um, so to the Dolly Parton point, I did think Stacey Abrams would win an Emmy for, you know, voiceover and narration for her work on Blackish. And then that went to Maya Rudolph. And I was like, okay, so I guess your reward, you know, not to take away from Dolly Parton, but, you know, you go there, but then you don't go there with Stacey. Um, did nobody watch Mare of Easttown? And, you know, it's like, yeah, Netflix is genius at below the line, but. You know, I thought Mayor of Easttown would get something below the line, and it's—I don't think it was mentioned. It wasn't mentioned at all this weekend. Um, uh, what else? RuPaul winning, not host, but Untucked. I was surprised. Mike, that love is still there. Um, and I, you know, I did speak oh, to. It's yeah. I thought that could be like a slippery slope for them, but when it won, I mean. All of them were surprised they won. They they were not expecting that win at all. Those are my surprises. Yeah, the RuPaul doubling down on the dominance. So that's a good sign for for Sunday. On the other hand, uh, you mentioned Mayor of Easttown. I'm wondering now if I need to change my picks. That that's the big question. You know, I had flipped from Queen's Gambit to Mayor of Easttown and uh, to Kate Winslet from Anya Taylor Joy. Uh, well, it's time to. So he, he, I don't know, Clayton. What do you well, think? Here, here's a little bit of a, a like a precedent. I was trying to because you know Queen's Gambit won a lot. It was nine, right? Nine creative. Yeah. So far. Yeah. And then uh, WandaVision has six, I think. Maybe. Well, either way, um, I was trying to find a precedent of a show doing so well at the creative arts and then it kind of like unravels or comes apart in the end on primetime evening. And I guess the closest thing I have is when Downton Abbey season one, when it was in limited, uh, beat Mildred Pierce. And I'm trying to think, is it just WandaVision or, or, that because I also I remember like the normal heart, which competed in TV movie, like lost everything too, like on the night. Um, it won TV movie, but like it was, it, I think it was American Hearth or whatever it competed against. So I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm just trying to follow the tea leaves of where this goes. But again, back to my Netflix earlier point, can they get it together all in the in the crafts? But then in the top categories, will they come up short? And I I don't know. Like maybe. Maybe they do have it all, you know, maybe it's all aligning this this year for them. But but my split there is Pose surprise, Pose one, like hair and makeup. And I wonder if that's like following, you know, the trail of like, is does this bode well for MJ, Billy, maybe a surprise at the top? right at the top. I don't know. Though, I mean, I have so many questions I'm trying to make, you know, head and tail of, of it all, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the, we, we wrote about this, the, the casting categories, which last year, all of the, uh, the, the casting directors ultimately were a sign of, of who won in comedy drama and limited. And if you go that way this year, it would be Ted Lasso, the crown and the queen's gambit, which, you know, that's, it could very well, and that way, and and once again, strangely enough, uh, casting director ends up being the uh, the, the best uh, predictor of, of these things. But um, why don't we go through uh, those three main silos and and sort of discuss a little bit more? We we've already been talking a little bit about limited series, so let's let's dig a little deeper there. I mean, and, the hardest um, category. Are, yes, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's up as one. Let's, of let's them. get that out of the way first. <laughs> so. 
How are you feeling at this point, uh, uh, God, I mean, I'm also one that doesn't like to change their prediction after the creative arts. Cause I feel like if, like if Oscars had had, if Oscars did creative, like they're like tech artisan races, we would have all jumped off nomad land. Like if we change it afterwards. So I'm going to stick with WandaVision. I think WandaVision does it. And that that's all I can say. Like I, 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 I honestly, it, it really can be any four of the five because God bless underground railroad. And it sucks how much it's getting ignored. But I think that's the only one. That's the only thing that would really, really surprise me if that pulled it off in the end. But I think any of the four. But I, I think I'm WandaVision, Queen's Gambit, Mayor of East Sound. I may destroy you in that order of likelihood. Wow. Yeah. That that That's where I think this is the category that we all sort of uh, diverge a little bit. Because, you know, right now I still have Mayor of East Town, then Queen's Gambit, then WandaVision. Then I may destroy you and Underground. Uh, Jazz, how, what, how are you ranking them right now? I am in the same order. I was so tempted to go back in and change all my predictions, but like Clayton said, if you do that, yeah, I'm just going to stick with pre-creatives, Mare, Queens, WandaVision, I May Destroy You. I just, I, to give a point to that, why you don't change it, for like pretty much the whole first half of Phase 2, I was predicting that Dolly Parton would win TV movie, and I switched off of it like an idiot. So <laughs> just go with your gut. Mm. YOLO. <laughs> Yeah, no, you 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 would have you would have looked smart, and and honestly, like, yeah, we and and the funny thing is, we were all talking about it. We all kind of knew that Dolly was going to get it because, in hindsight, who votes against Dolly Parton again? Her name is in the title of the film. <laughs> it's, her, it's her first Emmy. It's a category no one cared. They just go right, right. It was great to see Debbie Allen win an Emmy twenty years after. I guess it was twenty years. I think we talked about it in the in the interview room, but like. Choreography, yeah, and she's going to get a governor's award on uh, yeah. Sunday as well. So things are coming up, Debbie Allen again, which is always great. Uh, always, always someone worthy of our attention. Um, well, so what about the lead actress in limited anthology or TV movie? Um, this is another one that's uh, you know it feels like it comes down to Kate versus uh, Anya, but uh, Clayton, what uh, what are you thinking right now? I feel comfortable with it being definitely one of those two. And I'm going, I'm going to stick with Winslet. Like, I just, I just feel like that the show gets something. It just struck. So like, well, I feel like it's 50, 50 in so many categories. So it's got to win something major. And I just feel like Winslet is it, but Anya makes sense too. Uh, then I ran out with Michaela Olsen. I have Arivo at five. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Jazz? Kate, I'm st- I'm sticking with my fellow Brit cheese whiz lover, Kate Winslet. I'm not going to change it. Watch Anya win. I just would be flawed if Mare doesn't get anything. And this is where she could. By the way, Jazz, my uh, my wife was listening to the episode of, of you interviewing Kate, and she said she just she could not stop listening to the two of you with your accents <laughs> talking to each other. It was, it's like ASMR. It's just so comforting. There's there's something. I think she's falling asleep now listening to you interviewing Kate Winslet. It's it's it's, it's pretty great. So if, for if people haven't listened yet, go back. Like Delilah, Delilah at night. Here we go. Yeah. To that special someone out there. Exactly. Um, by the way, just a little bit of precedent stuff again, just trying to read some tea leaves because we do get surprises pretty often in Lead Actress Limited. And I was and I was looking at the last uh, few years. There, there are steamrollers that we know are happening. So that's like the Regina King Watchmen, the Nicole Kibben, Big Little Lies, right? Those are easy to call. Uh, I'd say, and, and Michelle, and Michelle Williams, Fosse Verdon, uh, too. But Regina King seven seconds was like an out of nowhere thing when we thought Laura Dern was going to run away with it. And then I think of, um, uh, when Jessica Lang won for American Horror Story Coven, and that was like supposed to be, um, I think Cicely Tyson's year. So there's always like, oh, Laura Linney, also another one for the big C. So I think that sometimes you have to be ready for like when, when some things are just kind of too close to call, there's someone that pops out that just goes, okay, that made sense in the app. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the fun of it, right? right? 
the the lead actor in Limited is is a, another one that's you know we we've sort of haven't talked much about partly because it's sort of you know it is what it is uh, the the money right now is on Paul Bettany but I don't know I still there's a part of me that thinks that the Hamilton stands are still gonna come out and give it to Lin Manuel you, you don't think they split votes. Perhaps, and that's probably why Paul Bettany and and I do have Paul Bettany down for that specific reason that they split. But there's a part of me that thinks I'm I'm making a mistake here, and and like there's going to be some sort of reward for Hamilton because they don't. A lot of the voters don't think about the issue of is it a movie, is it a TV show, the way we do. So and and if, when you think of Hamilton, it's still you know that's still Lin Manuel's baby. That's still he is. No, yeah, I, I'm I'm also on Paul Bettany kind of by a process of elimination. My number two, I think is Hugh Grant and the precedent of Hugh Grant is last year, Mark Ruffalo, who was the only nominee for, I know this much is true and still won in the end. So maybe he does pull, pull it off. Who knows? See, I had Hugh at number one and then just this whole backlash of him, of because they didn't like the fact that he didn't, he and Nicole didn't end up together, right? The voters didn't like that. So I don't know. I can't put him at number one. I have Paul Bettany at number one, and I don't know why I've been Manuel at number five. But Mike, should I put Lynn at number one and then blame you if I get that wrong? Uh, I'm putting you on no, the spot. I, I would stick with, <laughs> honestly, I have uh, Paul Bettany number one, Hugh Grant number two, Lynn Manuel number three. Uh, uh, Odom number four and Ewan McGregor number five. Um, but I, I don't feel great about that, but it's sort of, you know, I'm, I'm going with the Hamilton split. And so as a result, Bettany sort of sneaks through only because people did hate <laughs> the ending of the undoing, which pushes Hugh Grant down, but he's still Hugh Grant. He's still a name that people who don't watch these things still know and, and still just, he automatically gets a percentage of votes just for being Hugh Grant. And, and, so. and let's also be clear. Paul Bettany is here because Joel Edgerton and Ethan Hawke are not like, that's why the category shook out into what we are looking at now. Yeah. Right. Cause uh, ironically, like we'd still, we'd still be talking about Ethan Hawke as our, yeah. as our front runner otherwise. So especially after a surprising title, main title win at creative arts. Where did that come from? Acting like you like the show, but I'm 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 happy it got something. I guess. (laughs) So ultimately, you could say it is us Emmy winning uh, Lord a good Lord Bird. So that's something. That's something. Um. All right. Let's uh. Let's move to comedy because these are much easier to discuss. Um. Lead actor. I mean, Sudeikis. It's always been Sudeikis. Still Sudeikis. Okay, just quick, I, just so we can say the name, I just want us on record. Who's number two? I have Michael Douglas. I feel they like that show. I don't know. It's between him and Keenan. One, two, three. Yeah, and and the reason why like it might be Michael Douglas slightly over Keenan is because they're probably giving it to Keenan in the the supporting category. So that's my one, two, three. Also, so good. We're on record. And we're all the same. So that's why. <laughs> then Anthony Anderson for William H Macy five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Um, actress, of course. Uh, Jean Smart, come on down. It better be Jean Smart. By the way, by the time people are listening to this, our cover will be out celebrating the one and only Jean Smart. I'm very proud of this. The photos look amazing. She is a queen. Um, everything, all things to Jean Smart. Yeah. So. Submitted the correct episode. Yeah. The, the the category shook itself out. Like poor Kaylee Cuoco, like she was right, like she was on a roll. And then they announced Hacks was coming out. And then, you know, and Kaylee also cr- submitted the correct episode also. But in fairness, and yeah. I, I said this early on, I heard it from a like, just like maybe two or three voters. Some people feel like flight attendants shouldn't be in comedy. I think that dings her enough that Gene Smart's just running away with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's happening so often now that it's a, a lot of people are just kind of throwing their hands up in the air. And I guess this is how things are going to be classified. But but yeah, it is funny going back to like, you know, it was Kaylee's. And then 
the competition came from her own house. <laughs> it's like, really? Really, HBO Max, you're going to do me like yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Kaylee Cuoco. But uh, so, yeah, so Gene Smart 1, Kaylee Cuoco 2, uh, Allison Janney 3, just because Allison Janney is awards bait. Yep. Yeah. Tracy Ellis Ross and then 80 Brown. Correct. Correct. Ranking. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Tra- shout out to Tracy Ellis Ross, though. First black woman to be nominated for acting and producing the same year. They finally gave her a producer credit on Blackish. So I, nice. I, I, I appreciate uh, her being there. Shout out to Tracy Ellis Ross. Um, and then, of course, for series, uh, clearly. Ted. I, I mean, uh, I, OK, I'm going to say it's Ted Lasso, but I'm going to say it's small. TL Ted Lasso. I think it got a little closer than they probably. I think if the season was a tad longer, it might have fallen apart in the end. But I think I think they still win it. Yeah. I think they were hurt by the fact that, you know, the twists like these episodes, it's too bad they didn't schedule these a couple weeks ago, right when people were voting. Because right when they were voting was right the moment where people were having a little bit of that backlash like that we were talking about. And and so you're right. That probably dinged it a little bit. Not enough to knock it to number two, but uh, allowed Hacks to probably get a few more votes. Yep. How do you rank them? Uh, I mean, it's said Lasso, it's Hacks, then it's Flight Attendant. Those are the one, two, three. Um, and then Cobra Kai. Why not? I feel like Cobra Kai has love out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cobra Kai is four. <laughs> Let's do it. Cobra Kai is totally four. I feel good about that. Where's Emily in Paris? That's the question. It is last. It you, is know where. Last. <laughs> you know where. <laughs> you know where Emily in Paris is. Yeah. How about you, Jazz? How, how are you ranking them? Same. Ted Lasso hacks. Flight attendant. My four, though, is Kaminsky method. Yeah. Yeah. That could be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I go uh, Kaminsky, then Blackish, then Cobra Kai, um, then Pen15. Then Emily. oh, you think Cobra Kai is down there? Look at you. I would put Blackish over Cobra Kai. I think I think for the same reason that you were saying about Flight Attendant. Um, a lot of people who feel like Cobra Kai is not a comedy, and let's face it, there's still a lot of the, these older voters who they only know that Cobra Kai exists and they know it's a Karate Kid spit, and they think it's probably like, what is this? What you know? Why some like '80s retread is in in this mix? Uh, they haven't seen the glory of Cobra yeah, Kai. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they take the time to go back and watch from the beginning. Probably not. So that's the that's the kicker. Yep, you're right. Yeah. Michael is right. Well, let's move to. And by the way, like I, I don't know. I, I because I went on a limb on a lot of my picks. I don't think I'm going to do good on Sunday night. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to keep them there. It doesn't. Listen, matter. you had your set. You had your okay. sag sweep last year. You've you've held the there crown long enough. <laughs> Uh, all right, drama, drama, actress. So we got, uh, this is another tough one because it's uh, MJ versus Emma. I have MJ as number one, which again, going out a little bit on a limb. This is why I'm not sure I'm going to do well. All right, I, I don't like to do this, but we have to do this. We have to talk about this in pairing with lead actor. Are you predicting Billy Porter and lead actor? Yes. Yes, I then am. that I'm makes sense. Both. Yes, okay. If you have that, if you have MJ winning, I feel like you have to have Billy Porter winning. I feel like she doesn't win without him. Right. I th- I think it's a twofer. Yeah, I do think Billy can win without MJ, but not the other way around. I have Emma, Corin, then MJ. I think a come up the middle pick. Elizabeth Moss does it again, maybe. Which is weird because I was really big on Olivia Coleman for a while, but I think Elizabeth twenty one nominations has to mean something, right? For Handmaid's Tale, like it's like you and I were talking about this oh, offline. Like it it could it could become the biggest Emmy loser by loser like most nominated and wins nothing in history if it wins nothing on Sunday. Yeah. Which, I mean, I feel like it would have won something in creative arts if it had any sort of momentum. So I think there's a chance that 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 follows through. And it's not, you know, 
It's fine. A Handmaid's Tale did very well with nominations. It's right up there. It's just an aging show, and and it's it's time has kind of passed a little bit. So I mean, so 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 up to Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford could 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 do it, and it could win writing. I guess technically, you know, that could happen too. So it's still in the right. Do you have Josh winning actor, or do you have Billy winning actor? Me, I have. Yeah. I have, I have Billy, but my number two is reggae, which yeah. I think is controversial. See, I have MJ winning, uh, MJ and Billy, the 2-4 thing. And I agree with you. Like, Billy can win on his own. MJ cannot would not win without yeah. Billy, which we've said. Which, by the way, we could be totally wrong about it, and then she wins by herself, and that's it. <laughs> so, so this is all speculative. But, yes. Yeah, I mean, I just... I feel like Billy and MJ have been everywhere. They've done it right. They uh, what's the what's the phrase that everyone's using now? They they uh, they understood the assignment. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's the phrase that suddenly they understood the assignment. They they've been uh, you know everywhere I turn, I see Billy Porter and MJ, and it's like okay, I think you know they're top of mind. Whereas I, I, I see Josh O'Connor and Emma Corn nowhere. So just purely on, on sort of that, the, the fact that, you know, I think the, the, the campaign to make history resonates with voters this year. Um, I could be completely wrong. Uh, cause the crown clearly is, is doing fine so far, but poses doing fine too so far. So I'm, I'm still, I'm sticking with Billy and MJ. And we'll see. Um, I was only here a very short time last year, Mike, but did you predict Zendaya to do it last year? Um, you're asking me to remember something I did a year ago. <laughs> and I'm old, Because I didn't know I how many people actually predicted Zendaya to win for Euphoria. And I remember like, I, th- I think I predicted, um, I think I'm, I predicted Olivia Coleman actually last year. And I felt the upset was like Jennifer Aniston. So it's just like, Yes, the history thing, they they seem to be in that kind of mood where they could be like, yeah, let's just do something out of this. But this is the only time to yeah. do Emma Corrin. So, that the well, I mean, I'm not saying she'll never work again, but for this role, it'll never <laughs> right. happen again. Well, only time, last time you could do it for MJ, too. So, it's... Uh, and Olivia. You know, it's, it's limited <laughs> for, for... Yeah. And Journey, as we know, but... Yeah. Um... But uh, yeah, so so we'll see there. But uh, yeah, interesting about reggae. I mean, I still have Josh as number two pick. Then reggae, actually, I have as my number three. Um, then Sterling, uh, just because you know clearly they love Sterling. They gave him the narrator award. So also very surprising. Yes. Yeah. They just yeah, they just do whatever they want to do, man. It's, it's chaos. It. It's yeah. chaos. I'm telling you, like I, I, I say, we're always due for that Merritt Weaver Nurse Jackie year where they're just like, I don't care where you have this rank. Animated program, that animated show that I didn't know until it got nominated. What's it called? So the G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get Primal. It's Kennedy Tarkovsky's Primal. Yes. Yeah. Which. Yeah, that's that's it's it's like a deep cut for animation fans. Yeah. So that's. that's that's a category where the animators did their homework. Um, okay, so drama series uh, again. Uh, I'm I'm you know sticking with the crown, uh, but I've got I've got poses number two. Poses uh, your because, two. You know, there's a chance that poses my two because um, again you know I, I might as well just go all in if if you know if if I'm picking MJ and Billy. So pose number two. Uh, and then uh, I have, what do I have? I think I have Handmaids as number three, uh, then The Mandalorian, then Bridgerton, This Is Us, and The Boys. Ooh, this is where we're all over the map. I like this. Ooh. Go ahead, Jazz. Yeah. Where, where, what's your ranking? Um, For drama? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. I am going for, I have Pose. Crown Mandalorian. Oh, you got you got post number one. I have I've it's right now. I'm looking at my predictions. That's where I have it. Um, yeah. So sorry, I interrupted you. Say them again. So pose. Yeah, it's crown. pose. The crown. The Mandalorian and the Handmaid's Tale, and then Bridgerton at number five, and yeah. Lovecraft at six. But I should probably move Lovecraft higher. I don't. I don't know. That's <laughs> that's where it is, and this will probably change before Sunday. All right. Uh, I'm on Crown. The Mandalorian, Lovecraft Country, Handmaid's Tale, The Boys, Pose, Bridgerton, 
this is us. Yeah. Oh, you know, I think I forgot to mention Lo- Lovecraft in my my ranker. So you and HBO, look at you. Typical <laughs> 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 behavior. Snap. of a Michael Schneider. <laughs> um, um. So so. In that case, I, th- I think I have. Um, sorry to go back to this crown <laughs> pose. Um, Handmaids, Lovecraft, then Mandalorian. Um, yes, I put Lovecraft over Mandalorian. I just feel like the voters they they like Mandalorian below the line. I don't know if they're ready to give it series just because it's. Well, it won a bunch of uh, creative arts. Where they win like four. Yeah, it did well. Uh, got uh, composer again and uh, stunts. Ludwig. And visuals and stuff. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does well. Uh was trying to look. Uh, I Where is it? Do I have? Yeah. I was looking at like the last drama upset pick that like really surprised people on the night. And I was I I saw when the handmaid's tale beat the crown the first time. I think that was a little surprising on the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. Yeah, because yeah. that like came out of nowhere because we were like, oh, it's going to be House of Cards or you know, whatever, and then it just fell apart. Um, right, right, because it was like Hulu. Yeah, like first streamer Hulu. This is always a fun fact. Um, Homeland didn't see like because it ended the Madman, the Madman run. But I think maybe going back to maybe twenty four, maybe that's like the last like one. It won season five in two thousand six. It's literally the last time I think that was like, oh, damn, like something like crazy, like one in the end. But everything usually like kind of falls into like they, they go on their sweeps on their favorites. So this is going to be very interesting that we're going to be jumping around like for the last three years. But also it's because, you know, shows are going on hiatuses and we had a pandemic, you know. Right. COVID and yeah, everything else. <laughs> but um, yeah, I have to go back pretty far to find a. Yeah, surprising. I mean, I, 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 for some people, people were surprised that Game of Thrones season eight won because it was so hated. Um, but like, yeah, there's really nothing. We don't get a lot of those. Like, I mean, Lost season one made sense at the time. I always forget that Picket Fences went on that two season run because I can't remember anyone who was what were watching that at the time. Um, yeah, well, that, that was back before. I mean, there weren't many prestige dramas back then. So, all right. Well, why don't we end it here then? So, I guess next up, we'll see you all on Sunday night. So, uh, everyone, check out variety.com, check our coverage. Uh, Clayton, you're also uh, you're, you're going to have to take. There's, there's a lot going on uh, the next couple of days. So, we'll see how it goes. Busy. And uh, we'll meet here again next week and wrap it all up and, and talk about how wrong we were with everything. So. Or criminally right. Thank you. <laughs> yes. See you guys. Can't wait. Thanks, guys. Bye. And after the break, the Emmy-nominated stars of Netflix's The Crown. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. The Crown was nominated for 24 Emmys this year, tied with The Mandalorian for the most of any series, and has already won four, including guest actress for Claire Foy at the Creative Arts Emmys last weekend. Now come the biggies, including the drama race. The affairs of the royal family have long been under the public eye, but arguably no story is more renowned than that of Charles and Diana's ill-fated relationship. For The Crown, this presented Emma Corrin and Josh O'Connor with a unique challenge. Meanwhile, Gillian Anderson, as Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, faced her own assignment, depicting those formal meetings with Queen Elizabeth, played by Olivia Colman. Have you decided on your first cabinet? I have. It may surprise you to learn that I enjoy predicting ministerial comings and goings. It's like the races. I like to study form and odds. 
Who's in? Who's out? I also like to predict cabinets. My best so far was Mr. Wilson's secondary shuffle. I got 90%. Would you like to hear my predictions for yours? I'm assuming no women. Women? In cabinet. Oh, certainly not. Well, not just because there aren't any suitable candidates, but I have found women in general tend not to be suited to high office. Oh, why is that? Well, they become too emotional. I doubt you'll have that trouble with me. In an edition of Variety's Streaming Room, taped earlier this year, Variety's Janelle Riley spoke to Anderson, Corin, and O'Connor about the show's fourth season. They began by discussing how Corin had not grown up in the era of Charles and Diana, and so didn't quite have the same frame of reference at first. No, I wasn't. I mean, only in the sense, I think, that we all are, as in I, I knew about her and that, you know, I was familiar with her um, being an icon in so many ways. But um Really, I found that when it came to researching for the part for, you know, the crowns, Diana, Peter's Diana, um, that we were creating, I, it was kind of more intricate research about her, her childhood and like her youth and um, working out kind of where her mannerisms and her voice came from, I suppose, working from the inside out as, as opposed to being distracted by all the facts that, um, that we all are so familiar with. Yeah. Uh, Jillian, what about for you? Because I, you're you're playing as you, as Emma said, these icons, but they're also so relatable. And I was surprised that I felt bad for Margaret Thatcher from time to time. Um, I'm really curious. Did you you know did you have previous impressions of her, and did those change? Well, I, I think they're relatable. Um, Peter's version of these characters are relatable, and that's one of his great gifts is making uh, very you know writing very three-dimensional characters and um, characters who are, you know, who you forgive somehow in in their behavior, even if they behave appallingly sometimes. Mm -hmm. You see the balance of that behavior in in other actions and aspects of their personality that that make you kind of understand um, why they make the choices that they make and makes you kind of question your preconceptions about them. And so in that complexity, I think was an aspect that maybe I hadn't even seen in the research that I had done of Thatcher. I'd certainly, you know, having, I got very lucky um, this particular year of playing her because there was this phenomenal BBC documentary about Thatcher that came out right when I was researching her. And it was also kind of the first time that there was uh, you know, that, that we saw behind the scenes and saw her, you know, uh, before, you know, when the cameras were turned on, but before she was necessarily on performing, when she was rehearsing moments of speeches and we saw her, you know, at home with Dennis, which, you know, the camera's still rolling, so she's performing. But it, it felt like that was the first time at least I had seen another side of her and that was then extended in how Peter portrayed her. And so it's much more a portrayal of her, you know, or not, it's as much a portrayal of her as mother and as wife as it is her as prime minister. And and so I think that, you know, was quite interesting, fascinating, refreshing for some people to see. Josh, what was it like coming back after playing Charles last season? Because we really do see a different Charles this year. He's sort of chafing at his responsibility, you know, uh, the things he has to give up in service to the crown. Um, did you have to go back and, and add anything to your research or were you able to sort of pick up where you left off? Um, yeah, I guess I continue, I, I sort of t- took a bit of time to look at the, this particular period. I guess like I, my focus more in season four was to do with marriage and the breakdown of marriage and a breakdown of, rela- of relationships rather than season three, which is was to do with um, being seen and being heard and um, and yeah, and, and to do with like being a child with all this power and the only way that power is kind of given to him is by his mother dying and all that the complexities of that and. Obviously, those continue, but um, 
yeah, the focus really for for character in this season is is to do with that relationship with um, with Diana. So I suppose I kind of focused a little bit more on the on the marriage side and 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 that that sort of thing. And Josh and Emma, you have such amazing chemistry together, even though we know Charles and Diana are doomed. Um, in a weird way, I was I was kind of rooting for them in some scenes. Um, was there a situation where you had any kind of a chemistry read together or did you just meet after Emma had been cast? Um, it was actually sort of strange. We I got asked to come to set to um, read with Josh for like my well, an audition. Yeah, chemistry read. Um, and uh, they were filming a pickup on season three. And so I was taken to this like manor house in the middle of somewhere in the UK um, where they were filming. And yeah, I met Josh and we ran the scene a couple of times. Um, and they offered me the part of the room, which was sort of very surreal and um, but a lovely experience to share um, with each other, I think. Uh, but yeah. Very, very X Factor. Very X Factor. It was, <laughs> it was incredibly funny. Like who's going to tell her? I was like, just tell her. Yeah, <laughs> someone's someone's got to. So <laughs> um, it was great. It was such an amazing moment. Great. Was it ever hard to you know have these fights because you both seem like lovely people? It seems like you really got along well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think the fight, like the final fight, was um, was definitely. I mean, that was difficult. Those scenes are difficult. Um, but I think we, I think me and Emma and I have talked about it before. It's like it was. It was sort of difficult. It's also like a total pleasure because ultimately that we both knew that that was the kind of that scene in episode 10 is essentially, you know, the end of their, their story really as a couple. And so it felt, it always felt like for me, that was the kind of closure, I guess, you know, um, after that, having done that scene, it felt like we kind of rounded that relationship off. And whilst it was obviously hard at the end, I remember at the end when we, we were happy with it and we were going home, that was quite hard. Because I did feel quite, yeah. I mean, it was really shouting in Emma's face. Um, yeah. It was Shakespearean. It was such a good scene. Mm-hmm. Very I mean, weird. Mm. The whole cast is is full of these great complex relationships. Jillian, I love your scenes with Olivia Coleman. Um, even though Margaret is is treated like an outsider for, for most of it, you know, this this lovely sort of coda where the queen, you know, recognizes her at the end. Um, uh, Josh and Emma, you both have wonderful scenes with Emerald Fennell as Camilla Parker Bowles. Um, I'm just sort of curious, you know, what they're like as scene partners. I mean, everyone in this cast is is phenomenal, but um, Jillian, when you know, knew you were going to have those scenes with Olivia Coleman, were you were you intimidated at all? Um, it's impossible to be intimidated by Olivia Coleman. I think I'd I'd already met her a few times, and you know, she makes it very easy. Um, uh, to like her and um, she uh, immediately drops her guard drops you know, which drops your guard and and so I, I my biggest concern was that I'd, I'd have been working really really hard for a really long time and that I'd get there and I wouldn't be able to keep a straight face <laughs> I think that's what and there was a um, what was it a, a camera test that we did where I, I hadn't found Thatcher yet. And so I was feeling, I was just, I was a bit nervous and I was feeling a bit, um, uh, not, not intimidated in any way by her at all, but I was standing next to someone who had already done a season of, of The Crown and I hadn't figured out a few things. And um and we were goofing around in between, you know, walking from, that's all you do in a camera test is walk from point A to point B, turn to the right, turn to the back, turn to the left, you know. And um, and we were goofing around in between. And then the minute, well, we were slightly scolded for um, for not paying attention and, um, or at least, you know, time to focus. And she was so quick to die. I mean, like, negative count of negative one and uh she was the queen again in face and posture and everything and I was still you know trying to you know pull my face back together again and uh, I thought oh I'm fucked I'm so sorry I'm so I'm in trouble I'm I'm in big trouble (laughs) it's okay when you say the f word it sounds really elegant so (laughs) 
get away with it. <laughs> Emma, uh, one of the most talked about scenes is uh, Diana meeting Camilla Parker Bowles for lunch. And again, there's so much going on in that dynamic. But uh, again, you know, Emerald Fennell is a fantastic actor and, and also seems like a lovely person. Um, what was it like to film that scene with her? Yeah, it was kind of bizarre because Emerald is just so lovely and we get on so well. And then we said they'd shout action. Suddenly there was this sort of frostiness and that scene has so many, there was so, so much at stake. And there are like layers and layers of tension and ice and tension and ice. And it's just so interesting. Um, she's a very fun person to act with. She brings a lot of color to a scene. And like, I don't know, it was just really fun. Actually, the bit I enjoyed the most is um, was probably rehearsing that scene. Ben Karen did it really in, in an interesting way where it was me, Josh and Emerald rehearsing it together. And Ben put Josh at the table with us. And do the scene holding his hands, and the get the the thing he said was, when whoever thinks they have the most power in that moment should hold Josh's hand, and basically it was just Emerald holding Josh's hand the entire scene, and me just trying to like, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, it was I so, love that so it was much. Like the most fun for me because all I just got to watch these two amazing actors like nailing it, and me just like literally just sat there with my hand. <laughs> <laughs> What a great idea. Brilliant. Uh, I addressed earlier the research you did for these characters, but um, I'm sort of curious because you all embody them so well. I mean, Jillian, you have Margaret Thatcher's low bow and her voice. And Emma, you really have to recreate Diana's most talked about looks. And and Josh, there's a whole thing with your posture when you're Charles that is completely different. Um, Can you talk about, you know, putting on the wigs and the makeup and the costumes and how that helps you find your character. I'm probably not the best person. I, I think I'm the only member of the entire cast who doesn't have a wig. There was actually an email that sent, when we stopped, we were stopped like a week from finishing. We'd almost finished but because of the lockdown. And there was an email sent out to all cast, at, all cast in the, in the whole of the crown, which is like hundreds of people. And it was just to say, uh, we're just, you know, we don't know the situation. No one get their hair. Uh, anyone who hasn't got a wig, don't get their hair cut. And I was like, guys, guys A, it's pretty much only like a few, a few of my scenes left. And B, I'm the only one that doesn't have a wig. So it's just me. They just didn't want me to cut my hair. And I did. So it's fine. So the wig didn't affect me at all because I didn't have one. But the costumes, I guess, yeah, they do. I mean, they all, mm-hmm. uh, more so for, for you guys, I suspect. But like, I think Charles's stuff, it's all about, um, you know, he cares deeply about his clothing and it's all, you know, the way he puts his hands in his pockets and arches him over and stuff. So it definitely, definitely helped. I think I realised because it was going to be, because of when I started the research and needed just for my own feeling of safety um, to start working on something to do with her quite early on. Um, obviously, you know, reading and watching things, et cetera, but the, the, you know, because I didn't have costume and wig and et cetera, you know, at home, um, I, I uh, started working on the voice quite early. And even though, uh, it, I heard it in my head, I knew what it was in my head, but I didn't feel like I could release it yet, um, for quite a time. But the fact that I was, Working on it felt like I was, you know, moving forward anyway. And um, and then I realized at some point that, you know, even though the other bits, the silhouette of what Thatcher is and her um, her wig and her posture and her walk and the particular clothes and her girth and all of that is definitely adds to and tells a part of, an accurate story of this human being without the voice it wouldn't be thatcher whereas you could have just the voice and none of those things and you'd know i, I don't know i just i felt it suddenly occurred to me i think and maybe that's why it took me so long to reveal it or allow it to come out as i realized how high the stakes were with her voice. Cause you could get the clothes wrong, but you'd understand it with the voice and the wig and you, the wig, you know, and, but something about 
the voice needed to be, um, I needed to find that, or the balance of it between hers and mine um, early on. And so, yeah, I've rambled. I can't even remember what your question was. <laughs> well, I'm actually curious, the first time you did see yourself in like the hair and makeup test, was it, did, were you thrown off by how much you looked like her? Um, well, you know, it's weird because for whatever reason, when I was sitting in hair makeup, the minute you put that wig on me, uh, I look a bit like that. (laughs) And (laughs) that not, you know, and yes, there was a lot of thought and effort uh, that went into, um, the makeup and other aspects of, you know, uh, how I held my face and everything, but there's just something about that, that the combination of the wig and the fact that we've got quite a similar nose, I think, and hooded eyes. It's um, so quite early on. I think we all went, <gasps> you know, even before they had done all of the makeup stuff. And I think everyone thought, well, we, you know, we're on the right track. Forget, you know. Did you have any kind of prosthetics around the mouth, or were you just holding it that way? Uh, no, no prosthetics. Just. Wow. Uh, um, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's an easy trap to get caught in though. Uh, you know, it's, 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 I found that by the end of filming, I rely on it just a little bit too much by the end, you know, there's something, this trick that gets me into her or makes me feel more like her. It suddenly became something that, um, different aspects of, you know, that I, were, were I was, you know, just pressing on it just a bit more by the end. And Emma, what about for you? You're creating, recreating so many of Diana's iconic looks. Um, how much did you collaborate with the costume and the hair and makeup people? Um, I'm not sure there was much collaboration, as in they're so good at what they do that you kind of just walk into fittings and you're just, I was just always blown away by everything that was there and everything that was being created. But I loved the the process of getting fitted for the costumes and discovering her through her clothes. I mean, um, yeah, Amy and Sid, who do the costumes, had these books where they would take, you know, they had pictures of what we, they were going to put her in from, you know, 16 to 28 over my arc, which is such a wonderful one. And um, yeah, I loved going into the fittings and most of the costumes were either sourced from like thrift shops or vintage places or like yeah, random places in Paris is very cool. And then sometimes they were completely made from scratch for me. And it was really cool. I like the ones that came together gradually that I was fitted into. And it really felt like I was part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's magic, honestly. And, and the same with the, the hair and makeup. Um, a lot of wig fittings, but definitely um, paid off. I remember, do you remember this? I think, Josh, you might have been there when they thought that someone had stolen one of the Queen's wigs. Yeah, we were like on. We were on the um, what's brand. it called? The, on yeah, the strand. And there was like we go there. That's where sometimes the trailers were, and we were there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They thought that someone <laughs> nipped on. Which, by the way, I think is pretty cool. If you got like broken onto the crowds and nicked a wig, is that what a steal? Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if it happened. Did it happen? Was it true or not? No, I don't think it was true. I think they just lost right. it or something. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> brilliant. I think confused. Yeah. yeah. But I think I'm I think um I'm sort of the same as, as Gillian in the sense that it was more what was like the mannerisms and the voice that I really that really helped me get to grips with her and feel like I was living in her skin. It's a weird expression. Um yeah, than than the costumes. They kind of were the final, the cherry on top, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. For each of you, what was the most challenging moment or part of this season? I mean, Emma, you know, we see so much of Diana's journey. We see her struggle with bulimia, which is just heartbreaking. We see how she's treated like an outsider. Um, if you could narrow it down to like one moment or fact or specific scene that maybe was the most challenging for you. Yeah, I think the bulimia scene's probably very, very challenging. I um, I mean, I think I've talked to, I've spoken about it a lot in, in previous interviews, but um, 
I was very keen for that to be shown and shown sensitively, but so that it was there, I thought it was an important thing that should not be shied away from on screen and also is a very important part of what she was going through, so it should be depicted. Um, but I don't think I prepared myself mentally for what it is really to put yourself in that position when you're doing that because, um, yeah, it's a bit harrowing to do and that was difficult. But I actually think that some of Josh and I's more, the fight scenes we were talking about earlier, actually the most challenging um to take our characters there when they hadn't really been there before and also I'm not naturally a very I'm quite conflict averse so I it's not my area of expertise um yeah those scenes um but weirdly I think those scenes that you find the most challenging tend to be the most rewarding in retrospect I think I learned some of my most valuable lessons through that I remember in one of those scenes Jess Hobbs the director saying to me we did a few takes of it and then she said, try doing nothing with your face. <laughs> I was like, what? And she said, just don't, just don't do anything. Just like be still. And I kind of didn't know what she meant, but I just did it. And then she played it back to me. And it's so strange how you can find so much. You can see so much emotion in someone's face with just stillness. Mm -hmm. And that was a great lesson. Yeah. You're conflict averse, but you're playing Diana on the crown. That must be hard. <laughs> um, yeah. Good lesson. I actually think I've got bolder in the last year, maybe from from playing her. I'm glad you think she's bold. I think she is. Yeah, I do. Yeah, Josh. What about for you? What was the biggest challenge of playing Charles this season? Yeah, I think uh, as a, for me, same as Emma, I guess um, those scenes together, those kind of. Um, I mean, I'm also kind of not one who know, who knows too much about conflict, but. Uh, but I suppose, yeah, those scenes. But I think in some ways, as a kind of overall challenge, I think the resisting playing the end of the story is the hardest thing for those two. Because it's so much, it's almost impossible. You know, I didn't, I don't really engage with the, or previous to this job, didn't really engage with that story and with, um, with Charles and Diana. But you can't miss it. And we all know, you know, the, the journey that it kind of where it ends up on. Um, and so I think the hardest thing is actually you know, I know that Emma and I, from like very early on, was that for us, the kind of the big achievement with telling this story was, can we make people, you know, people who know exactly what happens with Charles and Diana, can we make them believe even for a moment that it actually could work out? And and in episode six, particularly, that's that was our kind of game. And I and so far, people seem to, have, you know, that has. We trick people and for like even just for a moment to think that there is the there was love there and and I think in a weird way that was kind of maybe the hardest task actually. Um, but the biggest payoff. I told you I was rooting for them, even knowing how it turns out. I was like, oh, maybe maybe they could work it out. <laughs> Jillian, what about for you? Well, I'm um I'm not conflict averse. <laughs> I'm not conflict. <laughs> no, uh, uh, I think probably, probably the audience scenes. I think just because there were so many of them, they were often block shot over a two or three days, different episodes. Um, and so, uh, you know, figuring out what was different between them trying to make them different what where she was on her journey that contributed to on her journey uh that that contributed to how she delivered information or reacted to the queen in those particular um scenes um and also feeling i, I was so certain that you know not to say anything about peter's writing because it's um brilliant but I, I just assumed that the audience was be as bored by them as I was challenged by them <laughs> and that people would go fast forward, fast forward. Oh, it's done now. We can get on to the, you know. And it turns out that people actually really liked them. I was so shocked when I heard that. I really thought that, um, that <laughs> I don't know. That <laughs> says more about my sense of self-worth, I think, than anything. Well, no. Um yeah, so yeah, but it, it was. Um, I, I felt the most nervous about doing those, so I guess that 
uh, indicates to some degree um, my feeling about the challenge of them. So season five is going to see a new cast and Josh and Emma, after playing these roles, you know, knowing people are going to secede you, have you talked at all with the actors taking over your parts? I think it's one of those things we have to let them come to you. I think you have to kind of like, if if they want to, they can, they can chat to you. I mean, I'm so happy to, but I don't think I can make the first move, you know? <laughs> What's so brilliant about this show is it's about, reinvent, I guess it's reinvention. And, and just as with like those kind of Shakespeare characters that, that you know, you know that there's actors before you and there will be actors after you that will do it in a, a different mm-hmm. way and it will be gorgeous and different and I think um the reference that I always use and you use yours Josh I steal it um was from um that film I can't even remember it now oh yeah I'm not I'm not there the Todd Haynes film yeah yeah Yeah. they all play Dylan and it's like they all bring a different quality but it's a lovely thing Mm -hmm. great example um you know when season four of the crown launched on Netflix last November it was such a hot topic amongst everyone what do you think it was about this season and, and this time period specifically that captivated viewers so much? Because we're so good. Yep. Yeah. I think a lot of it is is also because it's you know it, it's closer to the present, and so we're we're you know there's a lot of people who are alive today who. Uh, or more of a handful of people who are alive today who are um, uh, remember and and uh, are moved by those memories. But also I think there's a big thing that um, Pete always talked about and the the infusion of youth, you know, the infusion of youth in in the seasons because it, you know, because it's about, um, you know, specifically, this the middle bit, the middle bit with, you know, an Olivia and a Thatcher, um, you know, us old cronies. The the idea that there are these fantastic young actors to balance out all that curmudgeonly stuff is uh, adds such life and light and um, uh, and and also not to mention potentially even brings in a whole other demographic, which is going to be good for uh, Netflix. And um, so I, I think those those elements have something to do with that. I think also just, I guess, Diana, Charles, Thatcher, they're all quite, not controversial figures, but very figures that were very much in the public eye mm-hmm. and um, that are often talked about even today, where I guess before... It's that's not really the case, and talked about with, um, amongst younger people. And I think, yeah, Jelena's spot on with the infusion of youth, and also with the music. Like it was mad. I think like hearing Stevie Nicks um, over like the Diana's club scene, or her skating to I can't remember what it was Duran Duran or whatever. I mean, it was just like these are things we recognise, and I actually think that especially for people who've been watching The Crown since the beginning, to suddenly be like, oh my god, I've danced to this. It's quite nice. I. Remember here watching season three and um, what's the song that Emerald um, drives in, Camilla drives in to see you, Josh, and there's a song playing over and it's like, oh, it was, it was a really modern song. You think about the Elton John song that uh, was playing, that Rocket Man or something being played while Oh, that's Aaron. driving, where Aaron's driving. That's that's not that, but that is also a great example of it. Yeah, it's kind of just like, oh, sick. This is like sick. That's Emma Corrin, Josh O'Connor, and Gillian Anderson, stars and Emmy nominees from season four of The Crown, now streaming on Netflix. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest predictions, but also all of our big Emmy coverage over this weekend, as well as your daily fix of news analysis and reviews. For Daniel Terciano and Jazz Tanke, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit.
Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.